God is good. And all the time. I think so. Good to see you on this Tuesday afternoon. Lovely day outside, but nicer in here. Good to have each and every one of you. Uh, welcome online, wherever you may be joining us uh, from. We're happy that you are with us here today. Well, let's pray. God above, summer is winding down. We could tell that the days are getting a little shorter in the nighttime and in the morning. We pray this morning for those who need that extra helping hand of love, of support, of healing, of travel mercies, and for just the, 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 the fear and trepidation that sometimes life can bring. We pray that we can find strength in these pages, hope in these words, and love within these chapters. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we are still in 1 Corinthians. We are now in uh, chapter 2. And I, uh, Jacob prints these off for us. Thank you, Jacob. And I, and I got it, and I flipped it over to see how far it went. There's nothing there. This is, friends, this is a short chapter. Uh, but we're going to do what we can with it. So, Corinthians, uh, Paul is writing to the church in what town? Corinth. You are good Bible people. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians. We know there's a letter beforehand, that, but that has been lost to history. Uh, the Corinthians, he, he was in Corinth, I think, around 50 A.D. That's when he, he passed through. He was in Athens for just a week, and uh, he spent a year and a half then in Corinth. This letter that we have, 1 Corinthians, is dated around 55-ish A.D., so about five years after after he had been there for four years, five years, depending on how they how they count the years. Uh, but since this is a short short chapter, I want to jump back to Acts for a second. So if you if if you go uh, left in your Bible to Acts, so Acts chapter eighteen. I'm just going to read a little bit here, a uh, little bit. I'm going to read seventeen verses. Uh, t- to show this is this is this is his time in Corinth okay and this is the NIV version after this paul left athens and went to corinth there he met a jew named aquila a native of pontus who had recently come from italy with his wife priscilla because claudius had ordered all the jews to leave rome paul went to see them And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you 
because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Gallio was proconsul of uh, Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a plaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves, for I will not be a judge of such things. So he ejected them from the court, and then they all turned on Sorthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the whole court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. That was his time in Corinth. Tent maker, working first with the Jews and then to the Gentiles later. Uh, they beat the poor uh, uh, synagogue ruler, Sorthenes, uh, and uh, you might remember that name from chapter 1. Uh, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sothes, I can't say it, Sothenes. Uh, so Sothenes is also writing back uh, to the people of Corinth. So that's where we are. So let's jump into sec, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's do verses 1 through 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my pre preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Corinthians, you'll discover the word wisdom throughout the whole book. When you think of the ancient Greeks, uh, you think philosophy, right? Who are some of the ancient philosophers of the day? Aristotle, Socrates, Socrates, yes, Plato, yeah, those are the big three right there. Uh, this town loved its wisdom. It loved its philosophy. They had people out on 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 the on the uh, out on the dais uh, in the marketplace. People were just out there spouting philosophy. That's what people wanted to hear, and that's what they, that's what they uh, uh, enjoyed. So here is his Paul telling them that, I'm not, I'm not coming to you with wisdom. I'm not coming to you with smarts. I'm not, it's not out of ignorance, but there are more important things at play. Uh, when I came to you, Paul's arrival in Corinth described, like we read in, in Acts chapter 18, met a Christian couple named Achaia and Priscilla, who were tent makers, and he supported himself by tent making for a year and a half. He didn't come as a philosopher. He didn't come as a salesman. Do you ever have those people talk to you that it just feels like a sales pitch, and you just kind of feel slimy afterwards, you have to take a shower? Yeah. Sometimes, I, I love, I got, a, I got a friend that I love, I love him to death, but he is in a multi-level marketing thing. And everything is multi-level marketing. 
Mike, you have to get in on this. You have to get in on this. You have to get... And apparently my friendship with him is based on if I don't get into this or not. And that just feels... If I don't buy this from him, then I... Yeah. Uh, relationships that are based on money, uh, they go by a different name. Uh, yeah. I'll leave it at that. Paul was certainly a man who could reason and debate, but he didn't use that approach in preaching the gospel. He made a conscious decision to put the emphasis on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was an ambassador. He was not a salesperson. Um, but he didn't cater to what the audience wanted. Corinth was they, they put a premium on the uh, on, on rhetoric, on thin thinking. He he knew the Jews requested a sign. The Greeks sought after wisdom, and he did not give that to them. He gave them Jesus Christ. He didn't give them what they wanted, but he gave them what they needed. That makes sense. Uh, some, sometimes a preacher can also get in the way of the gospel instead of being a servant of the gospel. I remember in preaching class, um, my, my, first, my first sermon I ever gave, I got, a, I got like a D on it. And the professor said, You're, you were too clever. Look, well, how's, how's that a bad thing, being too clever? He goes, you made, you, you made it all about you, and, and you didn't make it about... The, the, there was no good news. You had some excellent funny points and great observations, but not once did anyone feel moved to, to become closer to Christ. And that's just kind of stuck with me over the years. I, I, I remember this one church uh, had stained glass back here, and... Uh, they had a tall preacher at the time, um, and uh, stained glass back here, there's Jesus right there. They had a guest preacher in one day, and the guest preacher was like four foot eight, smaller. And uh, I remember someone commenting, like, I, I, I like it when this person preaches because then now, now I can see Jesus. And metaphorically, that kind of freaked me out a little of like, all right, if, if people can't see Jesus when you're preaching, you're not doing it right. Uh, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. Paul was not brimming with self-confidence. He just had a bad experience in Athens. Uh, and and what's, what's Corinth going to bring? Uh, some, some say that the, the, the fear, weakness, and trembling, it could have been the result of an illness. Or, or just the fear of persecution. Again, there were a couple times that people threw rocks trying to stone him, and rocks hurt. Uh, so I, I can see that as well. But uh, for whatever reason, he he didn't feel confident. He was out of his wheelhouse. He was he studied under a great uh, Jewish teacher. He he was learned in the law, and now he is preaching something totally not in his wheelhouse. Uh, he didn't have persuasive words. He's not rejecting preaching uh, or even persuasive preaching, but uh, he's, he's rejecting any reliance on the preacher's ability to persuade with human wisdom. Paul knew it's the preacher's job, and that's what he is. This, that's what he is in Corinth. He is a preacher. The preacher's job is to preach, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to demonstrate. Paul's preaching may not have been impressive or persuasive on the human level, but on the spiritual level it had power. Another lesson I had had to learn, and maybe this lesson will be, will be good for you. 
long time ago, I remember the pastor, uh, I, was, I was like a junior high, high school, young high school, said, it's your job to witness. It is your job to witness. And I'm thinking, I'm in ninth grade or whatever I was. I, there's, there's seniors in school. I am not, I am scared to death anyway. <laughs> there's no way I'm going to, like, witness. Um, and what if they don't take it? What if they don't, what if they don't listen? What if they, what if they don't take? And then, then I failed and it would be, it would be horrible. And I failed God and that you don't want to be on that side of that line. And then someone, uh, many years later said, you know, it's, it's, it's not your job to convert. You don't have that power. Your job is just to tell the story. Your job is to share your own testimony. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert. It's the Holy Spirit's job to touch the heart. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring them closer to Christ. But it's my job to open up the door. And it's your job to open up the door. Maybe some of you have kids that have fallen away from the faith and you think, I've failed them. I'm, what have I done wrong? It's not your job. Your job is just to have that open door. And it's the Spirit's job to convict. Now you might, oh Lord, let the Spirit, can like, where's the Spirit at in all this? Uh, but I just want to release you of that guilt. It's not your job. I, it's not my job to tell my parents how to live their life. They don't listen anyway. But my job is to share this work for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Um, let the Holy Spirit do its job. Um, even in preaching, many people use slick, entertaining, or even deceptive means to lure people into the church. Uh, but the principle stands: what you draw them in with is is what you draw them to. So if they're if they're there just for music, is that Christ? If they're there just for for the powerful sermon, but there's no Christ. Hmm. Abraham Lincoln once went to church with a buddy. A buddy pestered, maybe I told this story before. Uh, someone pestered Abraham Lincoln, come to my church, come to my church, come to my church. You will hear the most eloquent sermon ever. And, uh, and one Sunday, Lincoln went. And on the way, enjoyed the service on the way home. They were talking and the friend's like, well, what did you think? And, and Lincoln replied, he was, he was certainly eloquent, but not once, not once in the sermon did he ask me to do anything. Let the Spirit work. Uh, let's do verses 6 through 10. God's wisdom revealed by the Spirit. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Just because Paul would not 
cater to the Corinthian love of human wisdom does not mean that the message does not have wisdom. There is, there is wealth in, of wisdom in, in the gospel message. He who hath ears to hear, let them hear. Among those who are mature, those who are, who are mature, Paul could speak this wisdom too. Uh, some think the line is drawn between saved and unsaved. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? Uh, some say it's those who are baptized, some are, uh, the, those who are not baptized, those who grew up in the faith, those who are still learning the faith. What does it mean to be mature? He uses that word mature in, in some, uh, some other passages. Uh, Ephesians, I know, has one. Uh, Corinthians chapter 14, Philippians, I think, has one. Um, I remember a passage where he's talking about a baby. They don't have the discernment uh, of knowing what to eat. And so they have to be spoon-fed. Um, and someday they will understand and discern good food for themselves. Uh, which none of these rulers of this age knew. The mature recognize God's wisdom, but the rulers do not. Um, one commentator got a little, little, little on the uh, spiritual side. Are the rulers of this age, are they people or are they demo demonic powers? Um, Origen and uh, uh, Christ Chrysonotem, uh, two ancient philosophers and uh, saints, uh, had that debate. Um, did Jesus have to be put on the cross? Was that ordained by God, or was that a happenstance that, that Pilate and the rulers chose on their own volition, and God went with it? It's a good question, though. I don't, I don't have the answer, but that uh, if it's, if it's uh, the rulers of the age have a little bit of demonic power in them, then, then you can see where it would certainly lead to the cross. Let's try to put this son of God up and, and kill him. Of course, had they known that they were also sealing their own doom by, by inciting the crucifixion, would they have, would they have done it? Um, but at the end of the day, they say, these rulers, even though they have all the power and all the wealth, they will come to nothing without knowing Christ in their heart. Uh, what did the rulers of this age fail to recognize God's wisdom? It's a, what it called, was it a mystery in this one? Mystery, yeah. It is a mystery. None of the rulers understood it. Uh, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I love that title that Paul gives to Christ. It's, it's probably the best line that he has uh, for Jesus glorified. Uh, he is the Lord of glory. Uh, this is the one time that he that he uses it. Uh, certain proof that Paul regarded Jesus as God, the second person of the Trinity. Um, it's kind of a, there's kind of a, a secret knowledge in this. And so the danger becomes, is Christianity a cult? Was it a cult at this time? Help me out. Help me, help me define what a cult is. What's a cult? Not, not a cult. Not a cult. <laughs> cult is a baby horse. Cult. C-U-L-T. Or is it one of those, we, it's hard to define, but we know it when we see it. It seems to me that a cultic leader points to themselves and not something beyond themselves. So even Christ, he pointed to himself, but he also was constantly speaking of the Father and the Spirit. 
and the typical cultic leader, it kind of ends with them, that they don't point to something beyond themselves. I actually have a sermon that I that I did a long time ago that uh, you know what's def- what's a cult uh, or the occult as as uh, the sermon went but that was the number one tell sign is 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 it, to the leader is it all about the leader or is it all about the people um, it's all about the people or like they, they they point to God but it's for the benefit of people. I don't follow Christ because Christ needs me. I need Christ. I don't follow God because God needs me. I need God in my life. I don't give to church because God needs my money. God does not need my... I'm going to be careful on YouTube here. God does not want your money. If God wanted your money, there would be a lightning flash and you'd be a grease spot. And then he'd get your money. He wants you to be a giver. He wants you to be kind and generous, and this is how we do it, and this is how we support ministries and love and love and action. Um, so is Jesus a cult? In the beginning, that was, that was what the people from the outside saw. But Jesus, it was not all about Christ. At that time, Christ was pointing, pointing to God above, pointing to reform, Reform Judaism, get them back to the basics of love and mercy and kindness and justice and all those things. Um, but it was for the benefit of the people. Now, I've never joined a cult, so I don't exactly know. I've never been there, but uh, maybe I'll start one and we'll, we'll see what it goes. I doubt it, too. No one's going to follow. <laughs> yeah. There was... There was a first century. All right, so you have uh, you have heresy. You have orthodoxy. Orthodox. Orthodox means straight thinking. Straight thinking. Think. Uh, what 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 do orthodontists do? Straighten your teeth. Orth. Orth means straight. <laughs> Uh, straight thinking, orthodox. This is this is this is the the where we're at, and it took Christianity a couple hundred years to figure out what's orthodoxy and what is heresy. Uh, one of the first heresies to come to come out, uh, it was it was known as Gnosticism. Gnostic Gnosticism. Turn to your neighbor and say Gnosticism, and it starts with the letter G. G-N-O-S, da, 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 da. Uh, Nost, Nost in uh, Greek means wisdom. Secret wisdom. There was this, this, this group of people who said, we have secret wisdom of Christ that none of you all have. Now, granted, at this time, they were still figuring out the books of the Bible and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but the, we are the select group that we have the secret knowledge. If you join us, we'll show you the handshake, the secret passages. Well, mm, Gnosticism. Matter of fact, it got to a point of Gnosticism. They 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 got to a point of believing that Christ really wasn't fully human. He was a spirit. He walked among us. He talked among us. He ate, but he really wasn't there. He was spirit. 
And that was the first, that was the first century fight of Christianity. Who was Christ? Was he God? Was he like God? Was he a figment of God? Uh, and the Gnostics believe that, uh, well, to have, if he was if he was God, he could not be he cannot be flesh and blood either. Uh, so we have the secret knowledge of Christ, and um, Christ is for the select group that will we'll be saved, and then everyone else can just burn. That's fine. A couple centuries later, they have they 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 got to the councils. And the councils, we're going to put everybody in a room, all the leaders of all the churches in a room, and we're going to lock you in this room until you figure this out. And that's when we get some of the creeds. You have the Apostles' Creed. That was kind of way there in the beginning. I believe in God the Father. Da, 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 da. In the 300s, you get the Nicene Creed. When they locked them all in a room, what does, what does this mean? And they took the Apostles' Creed and they elongated it and described all the all the lines of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we believe in Jesus Christ, the begotten, the only son, da, 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 and it outlines that Jesus is both, yes, fully human and fully divine. One plus one equals one. Um, trying to refute Gnosticism and this group that says we have secret knowledge. And the church, the church doesn't always get it right, but the church says Christ is for all. The Spirit's for all. You don't have to have this secret knowledge. Because it feels very salesman-like. Uh, the, the, the quote there, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, I think that is a play on, on some, some words from Isaiah. Uh, not quite 100%, but uh, it's... If, if you know the, the, uh, the book of Isaiah really, really well, this would sound very, very familiar to you. I was in a Bible study class called Christ the Rebel. And it was very interesting to me. I, at first, I was very offended by the title. But he, he was a rebel. He did not follow like sheep. He did what his father sent him to do. And people did not like it. And that made him a target. And I think sometimes we forget that, that. People were not living the way they should have been living, acting and doing what they should have been doing. And um, he came to save the world. Yes, he was a rebel. And that was hard for me to say for a very long time. But as I came to understand Sometimes it takes a rebel. Someone, someone to overturn a table or two. Yeah. Corinth needed it. 600,000 people in the town, 200,000 uh, free people, 400,000 slaves. Uh, all, the, all, the, all the temples, all the, uh, the, the prostitutes of, of Corinth. We will show you a most excellent way. He will share later on in the in the letter of what it means to follow in faith. Okay, let's do the rest of the passage. <laughs> I guess ten B to the end. These are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? 
In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I love, I love that line, the deep things of God. In their love of human wisdom, the Corinthians probably thought Paul was just dealing in uh, just, just the basics like the gospel, but Paul insists that his message gets to the heart of the deep things of God. The wisdom comes by the Spirit who is from God, not from the Spirit of this world. Every believer has received the Spirit who is from God. Every believer has the access to spiritual wisdom. It's not a secret. It's not for a select few. This does not mean every believer has equal spiritual wisdom, and it doesn't mean that we understand all spiritual mysteries. I think there's still mysteries out there in the world today. I don't get it all. And God's going to do what God's going to do. Christians combine spiritual things with spiritual words. They use words and concepts taught, taught, by, taught by the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, 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 it's interesting when uh, some, someone who's never been to church comes into church and all of a sudden they, they get new vocabulary. Uh, sanctification. Transfiguration. Transubstantiation. Um, someone, someone once asked a kid, uh, uh, some, some highfalutin principle and he says, what do you think? And, and the kid says like, I don't know, but my church believes in it. <laughs> just, just big words, just big words. That's all we believe is big words. But Paul, it, it, they are deep things, but at the basis of it all is, is, is just love. Seeing the, seeing the image of God in each and every one of you. Regardless of who you are, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of whether you're a saint or a sinner or somewhere in between, spiritual things seem foolish to a natural person, to someone who's not in church. Why, why would you get baptized? Why would you give? Why would you volunteer your time? Why would you go on a Sunday morning? You get two, week, you get two days off a week. Why give one to the Lord? Seems foolish. But for those in the know, it's not secret, but for those in the know, we find great joy and great meaning and great peace in these things. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Again, quote Isaiah. But Paul has no trouble inserting the mind of Christ for the mind of the Lord. Uh, because Jesus also is, is Yahweh.
comments, questions? What did I miss? Jesus, excuse me, Jesus said that anything you ask in my name will be given you. And when you ask for wisdom, you get it. But it, it doesn't mean that you're the wisest person in the world. It means what, what you need um, to see. I mean, it, um, I start talking and then I don't know where I'm going. It's like intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a vegetable. Uh, uh, that's not right either. No, no, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's, a tomato's and not a fruit. You, wisdom, uh, tomato's a fruit. Knowledge and, is tomato's and wisdom, a fruit. And wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. That's it. Anyway, you'll get the wisdom, you know, if you have a question about your own life and you ask for wisdom, you get it. If you ask in Jesus' name, what do you want me to do? And you'll get an answer. I could pray for a bike. May or may not come. I could pray to win the lottery. May or may not come. If I pray for patience, I find it. If I pray for encouragement, I find it. If I pray for spiritual, uh, uh, these disciplines, I find it. Um, that's what Jesus is promising. Uh, we're going to do, if, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how well this takes. In October, we are going to do a sermon series on The Wizard of Oz. It's a, it's a good movie, 1939. Book came out in 1900, but we're going to do the first sermon, Finding Wisdom, Thoughts from the Scarecrow. Second one, Finding Heart, Thoughts from the Tin Man. Third, No Costumes. And I got to be careful because we can't play the music because of copyright issues. Uh, it's still, uh, still uh, not, it's not in public domain yet. Uh, third one, Lion, Finding, finding Courage. Pastor Jen's going to preach in here, I think, something about hope, something about somewhere over the rainbow. Um, our DS will preach somewhere in there, not with this one, but uh, we're going to close it out with All Saints Sunday. Uh, All Saints, um, uh, where we kind of remember that we belong to this collective. Um, and, we, and, 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 and our prayers are for those who have died this past year who are now home in heaven. And the last sermon in the series is, There's No Place Like Home. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot. I just uh, <clears throat> wanted to uh, uh, ruminate a moment on the 15th verse, the spiritual man, the spiritual person, makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Yet, <clears throat> in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, judge not, that you be not judged. So... Where are we at with this? Do we make judgments or not? Yeah. Uh, problem, the problem with judging is John Wesley had a great quote. We should be, uh, oh gosh, what was it? We should be um, judicial. I lost it. We should, we, should be, we should be harsh in judging ourselves and gracious when judging others. Because so far, too often we have that we have that backwards. We, I think we are to judge. When I was when I was like, huh, who, uh, looking looking for looking for a spouse or looking for, uh, you know, someone to share a life with. You want to you want to be judgmental in that. 
You don't want anyone uh, uh, who's not, you know, compatible with you to, to walk that walk with you. When I was looking for a dentist, I want to. I, I want someone. I want someone who knows their stuff. I don't want someone who got their d- dental GED. I want someone who, <laughs> who can help out, right? Uh, I think we're supposed to judge, but not be judgmental uh, toward people. Yeah, Roy. If I may take a shot at it, I. We are to judge between right and wrong, between. Jesus Christ and the teachings and the teachings of Satan. But we're not supposed to judge others. It's a fine line that you walk, that you can love others without judging them, but you have to be able to judge between right and wrong and then make that decision yourself, which way you want to go. So the answer to me is yes and no. <laughs> Definitively, yes and no. Because <laughs> this Sunday again, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's it, it has the real potential of coming off as really preachy, <laughs> uh, and also reopening wounds that people might have, or reopening guilt that people have. Uh, but it's, it's it's in the commandments, so we'll talk more about the relationships and why it's why it's there and. Uh, I'm not a fire and brimstone kind of guy, but I don't want to judge, but it also says, <laughs> mm. uh, but I also believe grace and mercy are are out there as well. Yeah. We will see you on Sunday. Pick up 40 books on the way out. Go in peace. Mm-hmm.